0: To handle that cape for the last time. Return to Town 10th year anniversary edition is a revised version of Andy N's first poetry book. The book can be purchased from Amazon and it contains numerous additional material. Spoken, Spoken Label. Hi, it's Andy N from Spoken Label. Thank you today for streaming or downloading another episode of Spoken Label. Spoken Label was originally set up on. Beginning in 2016, and as of speaking, has currently nearly 300 sessions. The full archive is available on spokenlabel, full stop, bandcamp.com. Although it is available for free for stream and download if you wish, I'm always grateful for any sort of kind of donation to enable me to keep the running costs of this podcast going. and Enjoy. Take care. Bye bye. Spoken label. Hi guys. Andy N, and the end, spoken able, back in the house. We're on Zoom again today and across the seas. To a country I'm starting to speak to people more and more actually. And it's not America. It's a much nicer country now. And we're off to Canada today. And I've got a lady with me, and of course. And she's got quite an, um, certainly she's not originally from Canada, you might have guessed from her accent, but I'll let her introduce herself and we'll take it from there. Veronica, would you like to introduce yourself to everybody? Tell them obviously who you are. I'm starting from there. Um, I'm Veronica Wilde. I'm a writer, I'm a poet, and
1: happy to be here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now obviously we were telling them before, Veronica, aren't you as well, like you're, you're half Ukraine and half Russian, aren't you? So so what, and you came to Canada when you were eight, was that correct, was it?
1: Yeah, I came to Canada when I was eight. I'm actually I'm half Russian Indigenous, which um, my grandfather died in the past year, and I found out that that was actually quite a different thing to what I thought was going on. So it's been it's been a really interesting journey looking into into my roots because um, you know the Russian Empire has been a whole thing, and, and not a lot of people know about it. So I'm learning a lot <laughs> where
0: I'm from for sure. I'm always a believer as an artist and even as a person in general, I think life has got to be a space where you're learning about yourself all the time. Mm-hmm. And like, I think it's a journey, it's itself, whatever way you look at it really. So, and I know you've had quite a sound of things, Certainly you've had like an interesting life. Like is, I'll let you start off with that then. Definitely. Cause I don't want to start <laughs> preempting you, shall we say? Right? Well, I was born it in- <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: I mean, it's hard to know where to start because right now I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in the poetry world and I'm sort of transitioning into the next thing and from the past thing. And my journey as a writer has been, it's taken a really huge turn in the past few years. Like I have two books out under my real full name, Veronica Tugaleva. Um, in the self-help sphere and so for a long time I was teaching self-love and um, helping people love themselves and you know there's this whole story of how I almost killed myself and then I had a spiritual awakening and um, I had this you know persona and I had these amazing people around me you know I had this community of people that were coming to me for inspiration for advice and was doing life coaching and you know, I was actually a digital nomad at the time, too. So, like, me and my partner at the time, we had sold ourselves to travel and we're, like, traveling the world. And I had this, like, 30-day self-love challenge from, you know, like, the tropics in Costa Rica. Like, on the outside, it really seemed like I had a really good life and I had a really good balanced mind. But there were some things brewing <laughs> inside.
0: I life goes that way. Well, I'm always fine, does it? So, it's... <laughs>
1: Yeah. And I think that's like when this poetry started coming out was um, when all the things that hadn't been addressed, that weren't being addressed, you know, this perfect relationship that I seemed to be in that was not actually as perfect as people thought it was. And as I was making it seem like it was and telling myself that it was and my family and, you know, as that as that started unraveling, then a lot of trauma started unraveling a lot of emotions that I had really bypassed. I'm not sure if you've heard of the term spiritual bypassing.
0: Yeah, I have actually. I have actually. I know somebody who went through that. Yeah,
1: yeah so why. I was really doing a lot of that. And um, I didn't realize that I was doing it because it had been so helpful. Like yoga was so helpful. Spirituality was so helpful. But all the ways that it had helped me suppress unaddressed trauma could only come out through art. And so I started writing these poems. I mean, I think I was in Peru and I started writing these really terrible, they were bad, (laughs) these really (laughs) bad love poems about my first boyfriend. And um, then I started writing some poems about my first girlfriend. And I'm, you know, waking up next to this person while I'm secretly writing poems about these other people that I haven't talked to in years so I started to fall out of alignment with the relationship and with what I thought I was but there was just this string that I felt like I had to keep following you know and I kept I kept doing it I kept I kept writing I kept saying the things I needed to say and over time the truth really started to come out like I started to write about my dad I started to write about you know some of the things that were going on in that relationship that were actually abusive and how trapped I really felt and how trapped I felt not only by him and by this like perfect role model life that I was trying to show everybody that I had but I was also trapped by all the things that I couldn't be anymore now because before I became this like really spiritual person you know I had this other identity and I was like this really hardcore like totally drug addicted goth chick that would like bite the... Tops off of beer bottles, and like I shame that person. You know, I was like, I'm not that anymore, and I will never be, and I will never dress like that. I will never wear makeup. I will never dye my hair. And I just really killed off this part of myself, like really extremely. And so I think what was really happening is that this part of me that I had killed off had started coming back, and it started coming back through poetry. And that was, I realize now a gift, but it was a really confusing time. So I think that was probably the last big beginning that I had but I mean there's been a lot of beginnings but that that was a pretty solid start yeah
0: <laughs> yeah that's one word for it but I'm always a believer in certainly when you start writing poetry in my case I was writing since I was 10 and I'm 48 now but it's a case of like when I first started properly when I just got turned 30 my mum was always a lot of trauma poems and mm-hmm. I think as it developed it's the trauma's still there but I'm more clever at hiding it, if you know what I mean. But certainly Mm -hmm. so. Had you been writing since before then, had you all your poetry? Or did that just come out almost like out of nowhere when you started writing your poetry?
1: So I actually have been writing poetry, like I remember we lived in this thing called an Apshajitia, which is like a dormitory back home. Um, And you, it's not just for students, like you have families Mm. living there. So it was like me, my mom and my dad living in this one room, apartment and there was one bathroom per floor of families and there was like one shower in the basement wow. and I remember going into that bathroom that we were all sharing and just hollering out random lyrics like I don't know if I could carry a tune or if I like had a, a sense of melody but I do remember writing rhymes and I remember even as a kid I mean I must have been four or five at that time Wow, that's,
0: that's good going at
1: Yeah, <laughs> wow. and Yeah, and I started even like when we first came to Canada, I started playing with words, you know, like I knew the number that corresponded to every single letter in the alphabet. And so then I would go and I would like look at the license plates of cars and I would try to get all the numbers to add up. And I had this thing for numbers. And so when I was writing words, I would try to stay in this really specific in meters that I think some of them I invented and some of them I kind of just picked up from the ether because some of them are, you know, in whatever, like an iambic pentameter. And now I know that I had picked up on that just from hearing other poetry. I had picked up on like limericks, but I was just playing with it, you know, but it was really structured. Like I also really liked acrostic poems, you know, when you write... Oh, I love something. love
0: acrostics. But I mean, but, real I, mean I was
1: writing like, I was writing like, today is the day I die. <laughs> <laughs> like, when my mom found those poems, my mom denies this to this day, that when she found those poems, she burned them. Like, she still says that that never happened. But I remember writing these poems and then the journals disappeared. And oh, when well, you were four
0: years old? I thought, wow.
1: No, this was, this was, this was, this was like... Maybe 11, but I was really angsty, like really, really early Re- on. Really early on,
0: like, yeah, God.
1: Like, really early on. I mean, I went through puberty pretty early, so hormones must have had something to do with it, but also, like, coming to Canada, um, having all these experiences of being really different and getting bullied. And then, you know, one of the first times that I had experiences of like sexual harassment and sexual assault because I had developed so early like it was really early on. So I was into some, you know, like heavy music and I was into some like really heavy words and I was carrying around like all of these feelings and I have no siblings and we had just immigrated to the country and my, I mean, my mom had like five jobs and my dad was just trying to make ends meet. So I didn't really have anybody to talk to. And I had all this stuff inside me and writing was just the way where I was trying to survive. So after it stopped being this, like, I'm playing around with syllables thing, um, it was really a place where I could go to say what it is that I wanted to say. And I think the reason that poetry became such an important part of my life as a kid was because I could code it. Like, as I knew my mom searched my room. Like, I knew that. I knew that because sometimes things would go missing and sometimes she would tell me what she had found, right? And so if I had learned to code the things that I had to say then the more I coded them the less scary those things seemed to her and then the more I felt like I could express myself and even as I you know grew up I started I was using that kind of like trying to code the things that I'm trying to say into a poem where I'm just kind of skirting around it and so every time I would fall in love or anytime that something terrible would happen no matter where I was, I mean, I have, oh my gosh, I have a diploma in behavioral analysis, you know, like even when I was in school for that completely unrelated thing that I have really rarely used in my life, anytime something happened, like I would run to poetry. But the thing that happened was when I almost killed myself, like my, my mental health had deteriorated to a pretty intense point. And when it had deteriorated there, I was writing, I was writing so much, I was writing so much poetry, I was writing so much music, and that was me trying to survive because that was how I was trying to survive. But I also, I wasn't eating, I wasn't sleeping. I had giant bags under my eyes, like my adrenal glands had failed. There were were big issues there, right? But when I had gone through this kind of awakening state where I realized that I had to change my relationship with my mind, because if I didn't, it was gonna kill me. Then it was almost like all the things that had brought me to that breaking point became evil. And so the poetry that had been with me for my whole life, the music that had been with me for my whole life, suddenly I thought of it as part of the problem. So when I was with my ex, you know, it was like a seven-year relationship that really marked my seven-year journey in the self-help world. I wrote very little poetry. And if I did write it, it was... I mean, I was trying to be some kind of roomy, you know.
0: <laughs> oh, I, I, like, I like that word. It's, 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 like, it's not sweet here very often in the UK, that one. That I know the word roomy, yeah.
1: <laughs> I was trying to just be really profound. And it when I read those poems, they're okay, but they're not real. They're not real the way that my past poetry was real. Even Even if it was really angsty, it was just you know, it was, it was what I was feeling. And suddenly I couldn't channel those feelings through my poetry because I wasn't willing to admit to them. And all the things that were going wrong in this relationship, you know, like all the toxic moments, all the terrible fights. I mean, I just wasn't telling anybody about them. I was just like, I'm being a really good partner by supporting this person through their bad times. And I'm just gonna forgive this. I'm gonna forgive this and be compassionate and move on. And if I try to capture what it is that I'm feeling, then it's almost solidified. You know, I don't wanna do that. I don't wanna solidify these emotions. So I actually had notebooks. This is not even a joke, and I wish it was, but like I had notebooks that I would just rage into sometimes When, when I had to say something and I had nobody to talk to, I would just write word dribble. Like I wasn't trying to write poetry or anything. Um, and then when we would go camping, I would burn them. It's like the perfect metaphor, right? Like I'm, wow. I'm writing all of my anger into these notebooks. And wow. there were at least seven different notebooks. I mean, a seven. you think about an entire notebook wow. full of lined paper, line oh. by line by line. So I could much never anger. do that.
0: I could never do that. Oh. I've got like, I, mean, I can show you this now because it's next to me in a minute. Everything I put in my complete, I put into like hardback books like this. The like Glade Five hardback books. And this is the 59th one nowadays. And oh I've been right. I have in the first one I started writing him when I was 11. Right, so. <laughs> wow. That's why. So it's, but well, like, I've, I've, I've had habits and I've left them on buses before now and I've got them back, but I've been panicking like heck. But wow, yeah. I could never burn them completely with that. That's incredible. That. Now, I want to ask you next, and obviously, she said before, but you've told to obviously, You've done three books and the third third one, I've seen is your current book under Veronica Wilde. Yes. What made you want to become a Veronica Wilde then from your real name and-
1: <laughs> so that person that I was, but uh, pre-mental breakdown, um, I had started going by Veronica Wilde because Oscar Wilde was my favorite writer. And- I was wondering I was
0: wondering that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And it just sounded super cool. It was like a really good goth girl name. And then when I had gone through this whole spiritual awakening thing, I had actually written a blog post that was a eulogy to Veronica Wilde. That's still on my website. And it's still one of the most popular posts on my site because um, I had referenced it in an article I had written that had gone viral and then that both of them got reprinted on this pretty big blog and so the amount of traffic to that blog post was huge so not only had I written this thing but it was also one of the most exposed pieces of writing that I had and I had seen this as like a death of the ego you know like my ego had died and I had buried her and sometimes she would come out and haunt me but it was Like I'm so spiritual and I'm so great for, you know, dealing with how my ego haunts me on a regular basis. And so when I had started writing um, the poetry that I'm writing now, you know, after I was done with the love poems, and um, I mean, will we ever be done with love poems? I mean, I moved on to deeper things. I started, um, (laughs) I started seeing more spoken word. Like the first time that I ever saw spoken word in Toronto, Um, it really, it blew me away. And then I started writing spoken word. I've got a theater background and so it just came together so quickly. And then when I started hanging out with other spoken word poets and I started to see how much there was to learn, how much there really was to really consume about the structure of poetry and the art of poetry. I started to realize that all the things that had brought me out of that seven year quietude with my thoughts. it was really just the beginning. And now I was ready to start playing with structure, playing with form, playing with all these things. And as I started playing with it, I also started getting really political. I started writing about, you know, I have this one poem called Men in, in my new book. And it's just like every single episode of me being sexually harassed and sexually assaulted through my life. And I think there are 19 items on that list I was just about to say that's
0: going to go on a few pages that poem then, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, it's a long, long poem, (laughs) and like there were some even after I I published the book, then I was like, oh, I forgot about this one. I forgot about this one. I mean, this stuff was really heavy, and I was writing about my parents. I mean, a lot of in the first versions of the manuscript, the word dad and father appeared over 10 times, like mom appeared so many times. And so we have a really recognizable last name. And um, from, I have a better relationship with my mother than my father. And like the conversations that we had had about all the things that I was writing, um, I really got to see A, how it affected her when I told her how I felt and how she was willing to make changes based on that information. I mean, some of the poetry that I showed her is completely changed our relationship because she didn't even realize that I had felt that way. So then the question became, does it need to say mom on it? And I started going through the manuscript and I started taking out, okay, this doesn't need it. This doesn't need it. And then at the very end of the day, there's still a few moms and dads in there, but I'm solid on the fact that I'm okay with them being linked with my name. But then I still started feeling like I needed I needed a costume, like I needed something like I'm the only person in the world with my real name. And there was something about that that made it difficult to make changes. It made it difficult for me to just be a human being because everything that I was doing was going through this name. And I started to think about bringing Veronica Wilde back pretty early on. Like it was just the thought, you know, like you're going to bed and then you have this like bright idea and I'm like, am I really gonna do that? Like I, I literally wrote a eulogy to this person. Like, is, that, wow. is that really gonna happen? But as time went on, you know, I like, I left my ex and I started like experimenting with all of these things that I had left behind trying to be a spiritual person. And so much of it had come back to me. Like I do wear mostly black. Like, I, I really do. And that's just something that I do. And trying to not be that was just really stifling. Like, I don't, I can't even explain how stifling it is to be trying to wear colors when you just don't want to. Like, that's just not how you want to dress on like a regular basis. Like mostly just want to wear black. And there were all these things that I was when I was that person that I had vilified, but. When I started to see it from a different perspective, then I realized that this person was an artist. I was an artist and I was embodying the creation of art in every single moment and this like shameless existence. And I hurt a lot of people and I hurt myself and I was a drug addict. I mean, there were a lot of problems there, but I felt so embodied in the creative energy in those times. And the fact that I had killed off this part of myself really started to get to me and i realized that i had already had a pseudonym like i wanted a pseudonym for love and gaslight because i was saying some really heavy political things and it felt right to have a pseudonym on this book also just like basic marketing right like you don't want to you don't want to have one thing be all these different things, you know? Like when when a corporation like branches out, I know that's a really dirty word to use, like a poetry conversation. (laughs) It's a swear word. (laughs) you know, like when you branch out and you create a different company, you call it a different name just so that people don't get confused, so that they know what they're talking about. And um, it was actually a really emotional process, bringing Veronica Wilde back, because my immediate response when I started embodying more of this part of myself that I had killed off my immediate response was to try to be that and kill off the thing that I had been for 7 years. And this started to look a whole lot like multiple personality disorder at this point. <laughs> so <laughs> I mean, I've had mental health issues my whole life and I and I saw it coming. I was like, you know, if I divide myself into these two people and it's like this is who I used to be and then there's this person, there's this person. It's not going to work. And so I had to continue to facilitate these conversations between these two parts of myself. And it was, it was hard because a lot of um, like in that men poem, another thing that had happened is that I got sexually assaulted by a spiritual healer. So that was a really strange way for a story about a girl already leaving the new age self-help spiritual community to experience, because now I'm like, talking about feminism and I'm talking about politics and then I get sexually assaulted by this person that's supposed to be compassionate and be bringing love and light to everybody and it made me feel rage and that rage made me want to be only Veronica Wilde like to kill off all of this spiritual stuff but then I developed these chronic pain symptoms from not doing yoga from not engaging in meditation the way that I used to from not being connected to my breath. Right. So it's been this. I suppose what I'm trying to say is that it's not like I was Veronica Tugaleva and now I am Veronica Wilde. It's just that my poetry, the way that I'm releasing my poetry right now, belongs under that pseudonym more so than my real name. But I'm not afraid of either one. I'm not afraid of either of these names, either of these people that I've been. It's almost like I've spent a lot of time in one room and I've spent a lot of time in another room, but now I'm building a third room where it's integrating the things that I've seen in both of those rooms, but I don't actually really want to live in either of them. (laughs) Right? Like I have my own (laughs) third room that I'm in. And yeah, it's um, I think when you create something that's really honest, like really punchy, like really down to the soul, there's something about giving yourself a pseudonym, even a little bit, because the the spelling of my first name is still like, if you type that in on Google, like it's still me because it's a really, I don't know what immigration was thinking. <laughs> um, they just translated Veronica in this weird way, but it gives me this like slight bit of padding, you know? It's like a stage or like a little yeah. fence. Yeah, like I can a relate to that. little curtain. <laughs> You know, uh, just to protect
0: for, me. <laughs> same for me, because I get to say that you know me as Andy N. Andy N, I'm not going to give him a real name on camera, but that's mm-hmm. my alias. I, I do it like, I do it as like it's like. I think curtains are the right words, mirror sometimes to me. It's yeah. very, very similar to what you mean, Tom. Right, a couple of questions. I want to carry on now, change topics. But I was going to ask you very quickly. You've mentioned Oscar Wilde before. Do you have any favourite Oscar Wilde pieces before we ask you about your book?
1: I do, but I actually don't know how to pronounce. This <laughs> is <laughs> the it's the one that he wrote in prison, but it's oh, like oh, the ballad, English- the ballad
0: of Red Jail. We call it.
1: Is that word pronounced? Yeah. In jail. Yeah, I would have said it, Gowl, and then would have been Gavel like, Gavel,
0: like what? Gowl jail, <laughs> same thing. Basically, olden way. It's the old way of pronouncing it. And I, I thought you'd go for that piece, to honest you. It's even oh. because he he was a real chameleon as a writer. You think really. Mm the various things he didn't like he he probably invented he did did one of the first real horror stories didn't he the picture of Dombey and Gray which I absolutely love that film that book and then these plays are really cool but I, and these both, my, my last poem is just incredible right
1: I remember when I first found Oscar Wilde it was actually after I mean I had been partying all night. It was it was in the depths of addiction. I had been up all night we were supposed to go to some place and then we got a call from the people that we were supposed to go to this place with that the cops had raided the entire thing and everybody had spent the past few hours with their faces down on the floor being like searched and harassed by the police and we were just sitting in this room thinking oh my gosh like our friends like our friends are about to you know, like, I don't know if they're gonna get arrested. Like, I don't know if, uh, we don't know what's happening. Our plans are broken, like we're coming down. It was a, it was a vulnerable moment in my early twenties. And I had found this Oscar Wilde book on the side of the road, like weeks before. And everybody was in a really tense state. So I said, why don't I just read out loud from this book to everybody to try to calm everybody down? <laughs> That was how I found Oscar Wilde and I'm reading this stuff out loud. And I was just, I mean, if something can impress you in that mental state, when you're, you're anxious and you're coming down and you're like, my serotonin levels were low and this writing, these words, it's like they swam off the page and they were a drug. You know, after, after that, I just sat and I read that entire book. I got other books. I mean, I, I couldn't stop. And then I got really into Jane Austen. I mean, I just went on a whole English lit journey <laughs> wow, there, but wow. it was really a saving grace because that was, um that was like a low point. And then after that, even though I kind of spiraled in and out of addiction for many years, I was pretty steady for a little while after that. Like I would spend days in bed just reading and reading and reading and reading. And these words just felt so, so healing. And so I, I, I saw Oscar Wilde as this, this rescue from a really shitty situation like
0: what, wow what that's one writer way of doing it could
1: you put could you just pick up a book and have it transform a room like that i mean it was yeah
0: not many unreal. not many for sure so incredible story right, okay. i've never
1: told that story on the air
0: <laughs> <laughs> see i've read it spoken label Exclusive. Right. We get the, we go down to the nitty gritty with writers on the right. The
1: incriminating.
0: Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. Now, seriously, we better talk about your book, do not we? So, now, obviously, uh, I want to know first of all, then, with your book, Love and Gaslight. And I always thought i ask you about your album as well. So, why Love and Gaslight as a title, first of all, for this poetry book?
1: So a lot of people in the spiritual community they end their emails with love and light. And that's oh, I a really do. Big I do as thing. well. I do as well. <laughs> uh, and the whole idea of light became so abrasive to me. The more that I the more that this trauma was pouring out of my bones and I was trying to be honest and I was trying to seek help from people in that community. I remember there's actually a poem Um, I I was just randomly going through the book when we were talking before. And then the poem that concerns um, what I'm talking about right now is actually right here. It's like a story poem. So I'm just gonna read this poem because you'll see that the book is published under New Rage Poetry. And this poem is called New Rage. We're on the floor of the sage and Crystal House. I'm afraid to ask her when I'll be able to move in. She's gyrating on the carpet, moaning, tells me she took a microdose. Her pupils are blueberries. I'm full of hatred, I say. It scares me. I'm full of anger and despair and I want it to stop. She trembles. Her eyeballs roll. She says, you created this. You, the universe, created this. I raise my voice hiss. I did not create him. Turning fury to tears is an avoidant habit. But you did love, she coos. You wanted to experience this. You wrote this story. I hate him. I whisper, I don't want to. It's embarrassing. But I hate him. Sniff. She smirks, undulates, you created him, you chose him, like you chose your parents. I nod, wipe my cheeks, tell her I understand, skip town, and boycott the New Age movement. The revived wolf growls. The fearful woman cries. But how easy it once was. The coveted right thing.
0: Brilliant, brilliant, great piece that one. I really enjoyed that. So I want to ask you next then, obviously, because there's a good, there's a great quote at the beginning of your book. this I'm reading it before. Uh, I love the way, and I think this sums you up as a person. Actually, this what you said before is the best poetry refuses to wait until you have a pen. Mm. I think it's a fantastic quote because like, I've had that before now when I've been coming home from work and I was using nine and a half times out of ten I've got a pen and paper in my bag because that's the way I am but I've had it before now where it's been stewing over in my head and then I get stuck in traffic it's <laughs> so the time I'm coming to the front door, I'm like, like that. <laughs> and then my partner's a writer, and like I told you before. And like, she's seen me coming before now, like this, and she, me, she has to front get me a pen and paper quicker, like spend half an hour by the phone scribbling frantically like that. Now, is that is that your method of writing yourself, do you think, as well? Then you find that sometimes.
1: You know, actually, just to backtrack a tiny bit, the only reason that I wrote that oh, was yeah. because was because I was making the Kindle version of the book and in the Kindle version of the book, it was necessary to adjust the width of the poems. So at the beginning of most poetry books, you have to put a thing that says, if this sentence matches, make sure that this sentence ends up on one line. Otherwise, you're not going to catch the structure because I have a lot of structure in the poems. I'm sure you've noticed and it's important that whatever whatever i meant to stay on one line stays on one line and it was an experiment in what is going to fit exactly into this space with this amount of <laughs> letters i don't even know what i wrote before i think there were other there were other things that i had tried to fit in there but they just didn't fit and then eventually it was like the best poetry refuses to wait until you have a pen and so the when you said there's a quote at the beginning of it i was like what quote because it's not in the paperback version or the hardcover <laughs> So I'm like, wow, that's that's actually really special that you were so moved by this. Um, Because to me, it was just a technical, it's a technical thing, but it fit perfectly, and now it's like it's fitting perfectly to your narrative. So
0: yeah, I've done it before now. When I wrote, I wrote poems and. And bits and pieces, and if people love it more than thinking you can spend months working on sometimes. It's, I think, a lot of it's perspective as a writer, really. Mm. So that's why and so it's, I think the same goes when you're doing like spoke, you doing spoken word albums. I going to ask you about that next. Cause, cause obviously, like you said, I we're here, really, cause I know also as well, you bought an album out recently, relatively recently as well, didn't you? Called Too Much for You. Now, was this done hand in hand with the book, was it? Or was it, Always going to be well done some time before.
1: So there's one piece of overlap. There's one poem called A Love Story Alone that is on both the, that is on, on the album and it's also in the book. Funny enough, the version in the book is different. So I had started recording this album after when I first found Spoken Word, it was like a love affair. I mean, I had gone to this spoken word event. And then I had come home, and I had started writing this poem. And then I finished editing the poem, and I memorized it, and I was performing it within four days. Wow! And I did like an open mic at the beginning of a poetry slam, and I remember when I was coming off stage, the host was like, "Why aren't you slamming?" And I said, "I only have one poem. <laughs> like, I don't. <laughs> I don't have any more." And it just felt so. Pure. It felt like, wow, this is a really good intersection between the things that I've always been, always had a proclivity to because I have a theater background. Like I used to be in theater in acting. I actually a theater school dropout, if you must know. And <laughs> I had been writing poetry my whole life. And I also was doing, had been doing writing regardless of my changes in personality. You know, I had always been writing. And so this merger between the stage and the written word it sparked me so quickly and the story began unfolding um the story began unfolding through spoken word as i was competing in toronto poetry slam and also going onto those stages and going onto open mics and those poems came out pretty quickly and they had all happened before a lot of the I think a lot of the most popular pieces in Love and Gaslight
0: and Ah,
1: I had recorded it and then got to a point where I was like, well, I need musical accompaniment and I don't want the album to end like this. Like it used to end with a love story. Mm. And I remember the producer being like, I think this is the last track. And I said, how can it be the last track? The album is going to end with me saying, I don't want to write another love story alone that's how the album ends? That's terrible. Like, that feels like I'm ending my entire life that way. And he said, I think this is the last track. What I think he was trying to tell me was the structure of the album is, you know, it's a it's a it's a woman falling in love and thinking that she's found everything that she's looking for. And then realizing that not only is it not what she was looking for, but she's also got a whole lot more to deal with in her relationship with herself before she can ever have a relationship with somebody else. And so what I think he was telling me is that the the narrative had progressed properly. Like from the first track, which is really, um, it's kind of like this rhythmic hip hoppy love poem to the last track when she's like, I don't want to write this love story alone. It's a good narrative. But I, I kept saying, I don't want it to end like this. This is not the ending that I want. And then A Love Story Alone came. Like, I don't want to write another love story alone, A Love Story Alone. Uh, that poem, like, it's been, it's my go-to. Like, if I have to perform a piece of spoken word, like that's that's my go-to. Like, I, when I was in Melbourne last year, I won the Melbourne Poetry Slam. I was supposed to go into the finals, like that was the first poem that I did like that poem is really has been an anchor for me Um, it started to bother me some of the phrasing in it and I felt this desire to alter the recorded version but you know I had been sitting on it for so long like I left it for I left those recordings for so long because they didn't have a musical accompaniment and because I wanted to change some of the parts of the of the audios and eventually I started working with this guy who I was actually in Toronto and we said, what are we going to do with these? Like, what are we going to do with what's here? How can we compose around it and how can we make it into the best thing that it can be? And it was a, it was an emotional journey. He had to be there with me while I was, you know, judging myself for the things that I had said and not said and take this out, take that out, add one eighth note of a breath. Okay, take out one sixteenth note Uh, of a breath. I mean, I'm terrible to work with. Like, I'm not, it's not fun. I mean, I paid him, but it's not, I'm (laughs) not a good customer. And so when we had finally gotten this album together, it had been years in the making. Wow. In the background, I was, I was crafting Love and Gaslight and Love and Gaslight, like the poem Love and Gaslight had gotten really popular on my Instagram and i said you know what i'm gonna make a collection that's called this and it's gonna have five chapters and the chapters are gonna be the things that i've gone through so the things that i was writing in that relationship that i was really unhappy in i had made them into poems because i wasn't writing poems at that time i took tiny little bits of things that i had written that i hadn't burned and i had made it into poems as opposed to other things towards the end of the manuscript i was already writing poetry so it was just a collection of poetry And then the album at this time, you know, in the background, it's being created. And so somehow this album that I had started to make so long before I started to compile this collection, um, had somehow ended up being ready at around the same time, (laughs) which was the end of 2020. I mean, there was time to work on it. Uh, And when I was deciding on whether or not any of the pieces from the album were going to be in the book. It was just such a perfect resolution. I said, you know, a love story alone, like I love that piece, the way that it's recorded, but there are things that I want to change about it, just like tiny little tweaks that I want to make and putting it into the book, not only gave me an opportunity to do that, but I also got to make this strand between the two, between the two things. So that's kind of the thread that unifies the 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 book and the album, but the storyline and the things that are that are going on in it, I suppose it's different perspectives on similar situations.
0: Really, that's no, that's fascinating. Now you said like you do touch on like as haven't always firm you always firmly believe we do projects overlap. There is an interlink in it, whether it's intended or not. And that's certainly the case there. Uh, so good luck with both those projects. Now we'll we'll come on to the last couple of questions now. I'm conscious of the time tonight as well. <laughs> but um you were telling me before off Mike about what you've got coming up next. And I know you've been working on some music, haven't you? Yeah. <laughs> Should we just avoid the topic then and move move on to the last question?
1: <laughs> no, we can I don't want to give too I don't want to give too much away, but um yeah, I've actually I've been producing and it's it's just been so good. I I sit there and I play with tiny little notes and all of my really crippling perfectionism that has not served me for my whole life, employing that perfectionism to move notes around and to layer things and then being able to listen back to it. Oof, there's nothing like that. I mean, I love editing words and I and I love the way that you can make a poem come together, but there's something about the way that you work on producing a piece of music where you're just setting the parts in, but in order to see what you've done, you take yourself on a sound experience. And sometimes that sound is so abrasive and you have to take a break and just be like, okay, that was not, that was not what I planned. But when the sound is good, when you've made a beautiful layered sound that makes you laugh or like it makes you smile or you know any of those reactions I feel that sound is so healing in a way that my written work has never been able to give to me and with love and gaslight and too much for you I've aired out so much trauma that I actually feel like a more balanced human being like these, these, these projects really healed me. And they healed me to the point that I'm ready to explore this different side of myself. Like I've always had a relationship with music, always had a relationship to to sound. And right now, so much of it is just play, you know? Like I don't have a education in music. Like I haven't been putting out music or or producing it, but it's just nice because the, the book is, you know, the book is selling itself, the albums, you know, it's out there. And, Now that I have the things out there that I've been working on, I'm just playing. Like really, I'm just playing and I'm having such a good time. So sometimes
0: (laughs) I'm always believing when you're doing like yeah, after you've had a massively what's the stamina inducing project like those two Mm -hmm. were, it's sometimes it's nice to just cleanse yourself of it completely until the next project comes along. And you know naturally when it is. Like it's I've done that because I've done a couple poetry books and the last major one was 2018. And I've done a little book, two little books since and then, and the third one coming. But I'm going to get them out of the way before I go into the next big one because it's just, you need that space mm. sometimes, don't you? So, yeah.
1: That's
0: definitely so. But good luck with both of your projects in and your album. Now, if people want to find out more about you, where are the best going?
1: So, I would follow me on Instagram. Um, you can, I mean, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram. You can look for my website. It's just important to spell my first name correctly. It's V I R O N I K A. You'll find Veronica Tugaleva and Veronica Wild from that. Um, yeah, on on Instagram is probably the platform that I'm most committed to right now. Uh, we'll see how me and TikTok go.
0: <laughs> Are you on TikTok? Oh God, I can't, I can't get my head on that Sorry. <laughs> Oh my god! I know. We'll keep off that because I could I be swearing about that. Like I'm all like,
1: I'm too old for TikTok, but my you're, soul too old, is you're too old. You're too so
0: old. If <laughs> you're too old, I'm a pensioner, maybe, maybe. right? <laughs> Brilliant! Oh my god! Right, listen. Well, what do we wrap up now? And we're going. You're going to do a poem for us in the second half, and we're going to let you quickly talk about one of your tracks on your album, which comes as a bonus. So, thank you today Veronica It's been a fantastic track. I've really enjoyed this. So, hang around, everybody. We'll see you in spoken next still here with Veronica now. We're doing something different for the second half. As you might have guessed, Veronica is that sort of poet where she likes doing things a bit where uh, we least expect to get. That's why we've got that point in the first half, because after 280 sessions, you're the first person to have done that to me, Veronica, actually. <laughs> so, but what we're going to do is we're going to have a, a track from your album as the extra track to go with this today. And I want to p- people. you tell people about this track, because I love this. and uh, It's the longest title track on the album, but it's also I love these use the numbers in it. was 27 things I want to remember before I fall into you again. Now, I don't want to necessarily talk about the content because it's such a personal piece. But where did the idea of the numbers come from in this piece?
1: I had a piece of paper next to my bed. And I started writing things on it that I wanted to remember. And then as I started to understand that there were going to be more than a few things, I started writing in my phone. And the original title in my notes app was 13 things I want to remember before I fall into you again. Because it's he had just left and then my conscience came back to say what are you doing you know like what are you doing like is it worth it is it worth it to have intimacy with a person that makes you feel like this where every single time that they're not here you're just barraged by your own thoughts so it was a reminder it was not going to be a poem it was not going to see the light of day. It was a note to self. What was it? Oh, wow. (laughs) 13 things I wanted to remember. And then 13 became 15, 15 became 19, 19 became 25, and then 25 became 27. And every time that I would go back to this note, and I started to see the poetry in it, I started to see where the poem was was trying to, to come out. And one of the first spoken word pieces I had seen online, um, it's called 21. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's this guy, he's counting down from 21 and talking about his father and his father being an alcoholic. It's a brilliant piece. And the numbers and the way that the numbers hit you in that piece, I always had wanted to do something with numbers. And as this you know, note to self was becoming a poem, I started reading it out loud to myself because that's what I do when I'm trying to... um, I think that's why I memorize my pieces so quickly too because in order to edit a spoken word piece, I say it out loud. And the more you get practice saying something out loud, the more it becomes embedded in your muscle memory. But this piece, there were certain parts of it that they just brought me to my knees. Like I would have to stop practicing the poem because it was making me cry. It was just taking me on this huge emotional journey. And I started to feel good about those tears though. I mean, the more that a piece can hit you like right in the heart over and over, there's this one, there's one of the parts references the previous track. Cause I had written this really spiritual love poem and then 27 things is it's it's the moment of clarity after the after the spiritual love poem there's this one there's this one part of it that references the previous track and that really got me it really got me because it's it felt like peeling back this illusion and seeing the ugly 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 truth underneath what it is that i had not only told myself and told this person, but I had been performing on stages telling everybody was happening. And it hurt because it felt like that's exactly what I have done before. I am so good at this. I am so good at trying to make a relationship seem like it's so great and everything's perfect, but then hiding out from the things that are really going wrong. And when we um, were gonna record this piece, I did not record it in order. So the album, Everything, including A Love Story Alone, which was the last track to arrive. Everything was recorded. And then the guy I was recording with, I said, Dylan, we have to, there's one more track. And he said, well, like, you're going to Montreal. I'm going to New Brunswick. We've got two weeks. Like, I don't know why you don't want to record this track. You've been leaving it for last, but we got to do it. We've got two weeks. Like, let's just make it work. And I remember going up to the microphone in the studio and I looked at him like, Dylan, I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry for what I'm about to put you through. Like this poem is too much. It's too much. I just kept saying that like, it's too much. It's too intense. It's too much. And he said, it's okay. Like we're here, I'm here. Everything's gonna be fine. And the first take that I did of this poem, I don't think I've ever been that angry in my entire life at anybody i've never yelled at somebody like that and afterward like you know there's just this silence after the the recording ended and he said are you okay and i said I think I need to do that again. So <laughs> I recorded it again. And usually we would do two takes. That was that was our process. We would do two takes and then we would splice in and out of them. And then if we needed anything extra, I'd go back into the, into the recording booth. This thing, I recorded it not twice, not three times. I did it seven times. Oof. And then I laid down on the Oof. floor in the recording studio.
0: I think I would have done after that. <laughs> he's
1: saying are you okay are you okay and I said that was that was the most like I'm a really emotional person but that was the most emotional i have I think I've ever been in a concentrated amount of time and actually the 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 title for the whole album too much for you that's that's a line from a love story alone but when I really think about the the recording process of 27 things and how afraid I was of being too much for the producer. I was afraid of being too much for the person that I was paying money to record me doing my art. I was afraid that I was going to injure his manhood by exposing him to this vulnerability of female thought.
0: Wow. No, Uh, (laughs) Wow, I don't know what to say to
1: that. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> God. yeah i'm glad wow. you like
1: that track because it's 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 really special to me it's um it's probably the closest thing to theater for me in that in that album because there's some things that have kind of like a musical uh hip-hop influence like the first two tracks for example and then there's things that have more of the spoken word poetry influence, but I think Twenty Seven Things. I mean, it's definitely spoken word, but it's also theater. It's yeah. got a narrative arc. We put the swelling violins in there. I mean, it's a it's a story. It's a, it's a good story. So,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, nice. No, I got the hip hop, and I think it was the first two tracks in the album. Actually, I mean, yeah. you're right, but I think it was first. I think it was the first two. But that one it was in it public. I'm I'm an ex actor myself, so and I, I really felt it when I was hearing that. I thought, yeah. I love the narrative and I also love the, love the use of the numbers. I mm-hmm. thought it was quite a distinctive way, way you used it, really. That's why, because you didn't mm-hmm. let yourself get tied down by it too much. You no, know, it was excellent. It's a good, excellent album. So, right. Okay. yeah. Well, that's all my questions anyway. So, we're going to call it a night, aren't we? So, we kept everybody entertained enough tonight, Veronica. Mm-hmm. So, oh, it's been a pleasure today. Thank you for this. I've really, really enjoyed this. Oh, thanks, Andy been a pleasure to hang around. I need to speak to you off mic anyway. So, but well, this is Andy in. Thank you for running again. It's been a tremendous session today. So we'll see you all soon. Take care, guys. Spoken, mate.
1: 27 things I want to remember before I fall into you again. One, I have called you my muse. I have called you my soulmate. You introduced me as your friend, too. When I say we should get in a van, run away and see the world, you get all serious. Tell me about all the plans you've already made for your life. Three, you say you love me under your breath more often than out loud. Four, you forget to touch me. Five, I've written all these poems about you. You tell me your art has universal themes. It's for everyone. Six, when we were with that girl who spent days trying to get into your heart right in front of me and she asked you what you wanted to build in a relationship, your answer never mentioned us. Seven, my attraction to you isn't getting stronger anymore. It fades every time you hesitate. Every time you miss an opportunity to love me like I deserve. Eight, but the pain is as magnetic as the desire. Nine, you never tell me you miss me. Ten, all the times you've left me unsatisfied. Eleven, you say your default position is to seek peace in the moment, not need anyone or anything. It sounds nice, meditative, but I'm one of those things you don't need. Twelve, you never told me that you're ready to surrender to this energy between you and me that bursts into art. I should have waited for an answer. Thirteen, I'm on my knees and you're still standing. Fourteen. The other day, a friend asked me if I would keep the baby if I got pregnant, and I said yes so quickly it surprised us both. I thought I didn't want kids. You told me you did. When I told you that story, you told me about a pregnancy scare you had to deal with once. Said you couldn't make anyone get rid of a baby for you. Fifteen, you've told me about two girls you felt like you wanted to be with forever when you first met them. You've never said that to me. Sixteen, I was happy before I met you. I will be happy again. I will love again, no matter what happens. Seventeen, all these times I feel crazy when you pull away and then can't wait for more than a few minutes to respond when you come back. I feel weak. Isn't love supposed to make you strong? Eighteen, you tell me that you feel more than you ever have. And I confuse that with you telling me that you feel as much as I do. 19. I have told you so many times that I see God in your eyes, feel it in your presence. You never say that to me. 20. Your God doesn't moan. Your God is waiting for your devotion while you're with me. My God lives in your eyes. 21. I have survived worse things, I have let go when it was harder. Twenty-two, I'm not sure that last one is true anymore. Twenty-three, it's morning and I miss you so much I can't finish writing this poem without remembering how beautiful you are. Twenty-four, I can forget all these things. Shove them in a closet. Pull myself together. Just to sit at your feet and bathe in your existence. Twenty-five. You don't feel the same. Twenty-six. We both lie to me and say you do. Twenty seven. I know you don't. I know
0: you don't. Spoken.